Thank you, Pam. And good morning. It's good to be here with the. It's kind of like the North Lakes family as as we look around the room. It's um it's it's really special. I love seeing what what's happening in you know different places and in the kingdom. Watching the video there with uh, self denial Sunday is that is that what it is? I was thinking about that. Did you know the word passion actually um, came into the English language? as a description of those final hours of Jesus' life. That's why we know the film The Passion of the Christ and that, that time and that season in his life or those hours of his life were known as the Passion of the Christ or the Passion of Christ. Did you know, the word passion has been, I think, diluted a little bit today uh, because you know, I know people you know, saw that film many years ago and they think, what, like passion? Like what, and, and you kind of think today, you know, passion is kind of, people are passionate about everything. I'm passionate about cars, I'm passionate about cooking, I'm passionate about gardening. Companies are passionate about delivering a you know, quality product. Um, but did you know the word passion actually means, it actually means to be willing to suffer for love. Um, you know what, self-denial, putting others before ourselves or, um, or being willing to carry the cost for the sake of something greater, for the sake of someone else, is actually so integral to who we are as Christians. And so, um, so that's an aside, but I, I love seeing that. I love seeing um, being a part of being able to make a difference, be able to do something, to be able to carry a cost ourselves and with no benefit for me, but that, but that out of passion out of a willingness to suffer or a willingness to pay a cost for the sake of someone else, for the sake of love, such an amazing thing. So that is a, that's a wonderful thing. That's a great thing going on. Who, was it, who went to colour this week? A few people went to colour. I had this realisation over the weekend. I thought, I can see what's happening here. Because, you know, when you go to conference, people go to conference and hear, like, the best speakers in the world speak all week and then come back to church on Sunday and as hard as you try, you always compare. So, no, pre- pre- no that's pressure's on. Pre- pre- pressure's on. So, no, it's it's really it's really um, it's really fantastic to be here. And uh, I want to um, I want to bring I want to bring a message this morning that I hope encourages you, and uh, I hope um, I hope stirs you into action. Um, I'm going to get straight into it. I'm going to get straight into it. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my, um, it, my wife is here. I don't know if she's here, Christy. She's out the back with our kids. We've got four kids. And so our, our life is a little bit of a travelling circus. Um, they're all little. Um, they're all wonderful. They're all a blessing. But um, who, who's got young kids? You know what I mean. So that's why she's outside at the moment. But I'll introduce to her, to her, you to her later. Um, if you've got your Bible there, would you go with me to Matthew chapter 5? Verse forty-three. This is from this is from the a passage of um, Jesus' teaching, known as the Sermon of, on the Mount. And so, this is just a small a small section of, I guess, like a really really well known section of scripture. Matthew five forty-three, and we're going to go through to verse forty-eight. This is Jesus speaking. He said, "You have heard it. Sorry, you have heard that it was said." Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Verse 48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to talk to you this morning about love because love is probably the most written about, talked about, wondered about, sung about themes in humanity. Would you agree? Uh, and we know from a faith perspective as Christians, we know that, uh, or even, even, even people who don't, don't have a faith kind of know that we're created for love. We're created to be loved. Uh, we're created to love. From a faith perspective, we know that we're created by God because of his love, by a God who is love, it's actually a really, really big deal. It's one of the most kind of wondered about and talked about themes in humanity, but I think it's actually one of the most mistaught or misjudged, misunderstood, misrepresented aspects of what it means to be human. And so I truly believe that if we are going to engage with this this thing called love that we need to go to the author of life itself and then go to God and, uh, and find what he says about it. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness, your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what you do? Would you soften our hearts, God? Would you speak to our spirits? Would you open our minds to what you would say to us this morning? God, we open ourselves. We say say yes, Holy Spirit, to what you want to do. Change us, refresh us, renew us again today in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 43, he said, You've heard it said, love your neighbour, hate your enemy. Where had they heard that? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Where had they heard that? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the Old Testament, right? That's the Old Covenant. Second commandment is love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, it wasn't, it was like the commandment didn't say love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but it was implied and probably more than implied, it was demonstrated. Jesus is talking to first century Jews here who would look back and, and they would look back and they would, they would look at their history and they would know stories like of King Saul. Remember the story of King Saul where God said, go in and take the land, de- um, defeat the enemy nation and go in and he said, they're an evil nation, leave no survivors. I'm giving you the land. And so Saul led the army in. God was faithful to them. They, they were victorious in the battle. But Saul let the king of the foreign nation live. And he, he showed mercy to him and he hid him. And, and we, know, we know this. If you know the story, the prophet Samuel came in and rebuked Saul, King Saul for not obeying God. Uh, Saul lost his kingship because he didn't follow through with what he was supposed to do. And the prophet Samuel came and slayed the evil king Agag himself. And, uh, and what's the point of the story? Well, the point of the story seems to be that the guy who showed mercy and compassion is the bad guy. And the guy who was ruthless and delivered judgment is the good guy. Welcome to the Old Covenant, to the Old Testament. 
We see it over and over again. We see the story of David and Goliath. Well, it's a, it's a story that's celebrated not just because, well, the, the little boy beat the giant and that's amazing, although it is, but that Goliath was an enemy of God. And, so, and he mocked God. He scoffed at the people of God. And God used the shepherd boy to deliver judgment on Goliath and the Philistine army. And that celebrated that in the context of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, of what they had experienced up to this point, part of showing their devotion to God was in hating the enemies of God. But verse 44, Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see what he's doing here? I'm sorry, is this, I've got, I've got a, there's, there's a fair bit of Bible in this this morning. So, um, so you're going to have to go with me. Uh, we're going to have to think. We're gonna, and we're going to, because I'm actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pull out a, a bunch of threads, a, a, a bunch of ideas and bring them together. But you will have to go with me on this. So, um, so you see what Jesus is doing here. He's actually, he's actually, creating a contrast. He's showing the dichotomy. He's showing the difference. He's saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbour, hate the enemy. But I'm telling you, love the enemy. You couldn't get two more opposite ways to live and and uh, two different lenses to look through life. Verse 45, he says, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's referencing the Old Testament again, because we know in the Old Testament, remember, God would bless the nation of Israel, and when they were, when they were in righteousness and doing the right thing, God would send the rain, um, the, the crops would grow, they would, be, they would be blessed, they would be prospering, they would be safe. But there were times in the Old Testament where uh, the, the people of God were not, they were allowing idolatry into the camp, they, were, they had sin, and so there were situations like when the when the prophet Elijah came and prophesied three years of famine on the land, and it was horrific what happened. And so he's referencing that, but notice what Jesus says about God. He says that you would be like your Father in heaven who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you see, see, there's a new covenant, a new operating system emerging. See, under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, God, this is, this is what it is. This is summed up in this. God rewards the righteous. But Jesus is saying there's a, there's a new covenant. There's something new coming. See, under the new covenant, it's not God rewards the righteous. It's God gives grace to those who don't deserve it. Yeah, I think that, 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 that's, that's worth celebrating because that's you. And that's me. Why are we told to love our enemies? Why does it matter? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, love, love your enemy. And in that next verse, he says, so that you might be like your father who is in heaven. Think about this. Why did Jesus come to earth? 
Why did he come in the first place? There's a whole lot of reasons. I know you'd be ticking over. You'd have all these Bible verses. Okay, he came to to fulfill the law. He came to bring a sword. He came to defeat the works of the enemy. He came to proclaim freedom. There's there's literally dozens of passages that say, you know, reasons why Jesus came. All of those are kind of like dot points and subsets of one overarching purpose in why Jesus came to earth. Do you know why that is? I'll tell you why it is. He came to reveal the Father. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. See, he fascinates me, Jesus, because he comes to an orphan planet, to an orphan people, and brings a revelation which was, had not been grasped before. That's why it's a revelation that God is a Father. And as a Father, that's his nature. He has a plan and he loves and so there's a new era kind of being birthed here at this, with, with the ministry of Jesus. And so if I was to paraphrase what Jesus has said here in this passage, we'll probably not paraphrase, reword or amplify. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you know that the commands say to love your neighbour and you have seen a history of a relationship of the people with God which has been seen through the lens of the law where you show your dedication and commitment to God by hating the enemies of God. But I'm telling you that you only have seen God through this lens and it's actually a whole lot bigger than you know. God is a, You've looked at him through the lens of the law but actually I'm, I'm here to reveal that God is a whole lot bigger than you know. Did you know he's a father and he's the kind of father that makes it rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous? That his willingness and his ability to love is not limited and is not inhibited by your shortfallings. Under the new covenant, his love meter does not go up and down depending on how deserving somebody is. Like, I, you know, he's not, he's not doing that. God is love. And we know it's not by our righteousness, but it's his righteousness. I know some, some Christians get, like, this, this, is the, this is the heart of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. But, but even saying that God's love doesn't go up and down, depending on how we act, sometimes makes people a little bit nervous. Imagine how nervous and upset it made first century Jews with, like, when, when, he, when he said that to them. Jesus actually takes it a level further though. He says, God's like this and so should you be. Like he says, he says I'm, I'm changing the lens on, I'm, I'm widening the lens on who God, what God looks like and because God looks like that, that's how you should be. All right, so I needed, I needed um, so take that, old covenant, new covenant, that we're living in the new, take that now and just kind of let that sit. So that's, that's one of the threads I want to pick up. And I want to, I want to take, pick up a few and bring them together in a second. I want to tell you now, I want to tell you about Jesus. I love, I love about Jesus is that Jesus lived and ministered in a way where he was, uh, he was always on, right? He was always loving. He was always moving towards people. And I'm fascinated that when, when I read through the Gospels, I see, I see Jesus, whether he's talking to his mother or he's talking to Pontius Pilate in an unfair trial or whether he's 
in a private setting with his disciples or whether he's in a public forum where the Pharisees are trying to debate something in, in, the, in, the, um, you know, in the courts with everybody watching. It doesn't matter on the context. Jesus is always Jesus. He, di- he didn't kind of turn himself up or turn himself down or, or kind of um, change for the people that he was, he was around. He was always fully him. He was never afraid. He was always on and he kind of lived this way where he didn't allow the circumstances or the people around him, what they were doing, stop him from being all that he was towards them. We see it over and over again. And, and the result was so often that people, he said he didn't see people the way the religious leaders did. He didn't, he didn't judge someone or look at someone based on their faults, their flaws, their shortfallings. He saw them with a divine perspective. He saw people with... He saw them for who they could be, but probably a better way for phrasing that is not for who they could be. He saw them for who they should be, for who they were created to be, for who they would be if sin wasn't there. And he spoke to that and he called that out in them. And what we see over and over again in so many cases is that people rose to what he saw in them, to what he called out in them. And we see Matthew, a tax collector, who's you know, looked down on in his society, actually... Um, you know, come to a place of um, belonging and trust, and uh, we see, you know, we see Mary Magdalene rise. We see the we see fishermen who would never have thought they would have amounted to anything now believing they can change the world because they were around Jesus. But this is so important. Even when people didn't rise, when people like see everybody who met Jesus, I'll say it like this: not everyone who met Jesus accepted him. But everyone who met Jesus experienced him. And even when they didn't allow it to fully transform them, I'm I'm fascinated by by the story of Judas Iscariot, who was one of the disciples who was with Jesus for three years and then betrayed him. That at the Last Supper, Jesus says, someone will betray me and effectively turns around to Judas and says, it's going to be you. I wonder how long Jesus knew. I wonder how long Jesus knew what was in Judas' heart, yet we see him love, honour, and treat him as one of his own all the way through. Never treated him with any less love, any less trust than any of the other disciples. I find that incredibly challenging. The point is that even if when they didn't, Jesus still didn't let that be a reason to treat them with any less honour, respect or trust. You know, a little, a little kindness. Love, love is a powerful force. To, who knows, so a few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, um, there was a gentleman in Newcastle, and you would have seen this in the paper. Like, did you see Jack Ma was here and he was making a donation at the University of Newcastle? So... Um, Quick snapshot of that story. Jack Ma is a Chinese billionaire. He's worth $350 billion. He's the second richest man in China. Um, Incredibly powerful man. And he was here in Newcastle making a donation of $28 million to the university for scholarships. Um, An absolutely unprecedented, generous donation. Now, that's, that's pretty incredible in itself. But the reason he was here is, is actually more incredible. Because he 
he tells the story of how 31 years ago he came to Newcastle for three weeks and uh, it was at a point in his life where he was a little bit lost and, and wondering and, and lacking confidence and he said, it was, he said he was shown kindness by a man in Newcastle and he says it was the kindness of this man that actually did something in him that he, was able, that he went back to China and actually had the resolve and the confidence to start his company and to pursue his dream. And the rest is history. A $350 billion company, one of the most powerful men in the country, influencing probably millions of lives, and here making a donation in Newcastle, so profoundly affected by someone who showed him kindness for a short amount of time 31 years ago, that he's here making a huge donation. He actually went out of his way to make this donation in Newcastle. Isn't that incredible? The big donation is incredible, but what, what is amazing is a small act of love, a small act of kindness could be so transformational and impacting on a life. You have no idea. We have no idea what the, the small things that we do each day, what, the, what profound effect that they can have. So Jesus... I'm just going to watch the time for a moment. Okay, so here we, here we have, we have Jesus, beginning of early in his ministry, he's, he's saying, okay, there's an old way and there's a new way, and he tells them what the new way is. He lives a life in such a way that he demonstrates the new way. He says, this is what God is like, he tells them this is what God's like, he makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now he shows what that looks like and he, he moves towards people with love and compassion and, um, and all of himself, all through his, all through his ministry and his life. And then as we move on towards the end of Jesus' ministry, I want to pick up, a, I'll pick up um, another passage of Scripture here, John 13, 33. He's taught them, he's showed them. Now he's, um, just before this section of Scripture, it's the washing of the feet. So he's, he's demonstrating, he's saying, this, this is what leadership looks like. And he goes around and he washes their feet. The servant's supposed to do that. He says, um, this, is, this is what Christian leadership looks like. This is what, this is what love looks like. And he, and he washes their feet. And shortly after this, he says to them in verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He told them about it. He modelled it. And now he just says, just do what I did. And, it, and it, from what I demonstrated. I want to I give, give you three points this morning. If you're, if, you're, um, if you're a takeaway points kind of person, if you take notes. I'm terrible at taking notes in church. I, I does there was a while back I sat down and looked down the row and everybody's out got out and got there at their notepads and iPads and everything taking notes and I said, Oh and so I quickly got out because <laughs> I should be taking notes. <laughs> but um but if, if you're taking notes, I want I do I want to give I want to give you three really simple takeaway points from this morning. And the first one is this is that love is your assignment. I work with young people and I hear this question often and particularly, particularly Christian young people, but I think it's universal. They're saying, what am I supposed to do? What, what does God want me to do? I'm trying to work out what God wants me to do with my life. It's so hard. I've got to try and work out what's God saying? What's he want me to do? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. He has told you what to do. He's made it really clear. He said, love. 
That is your call. That is your assignment. So, well, does that mean should I be an accountant or should I start my own business? I'm trying to work out like, or should I, should I do this or should I do that? What does, God, what does God want me to do? Well, he wants you to decide. He wants you, he, he wants you to choose a context, choose a forum, choose a vehicle, and use that as your mechanism or your opportunity to love. That's what we're called to do. It's, it's, you know, am I supposed to work in the church or, or out of the church? Am I supposed to um, be a lawyer or be a doctor? Well, you know what? God may speak to you specifically about some of those things. He, he, he may. But a lot of the time, he's saying, do what's in your heart, but with whatever you do, whatever you choose, love. You know... I'm coming back to my notes because I know, I know how, how quickly time goes by. Um, love is your assignment. Love is the command. Here's the thing. When, we, when Jesus says love one another, so that's all of us, he said love your enemy, so that's, you know, everybody else, um, or depending on who you are. Um, uh, he's effectively saying show love to everyone. And that kind of is, it's, it's a nice thing to think about, makes you feel, feel good to talk about that, but the reality of that's super challenging, right? When you, it's challenging enough looking around the room as, um, as then going out and looking around, the, you know, um, around your family and then around people extended beyond that. It's, it's a really challenging thing. Before I was a teacher, I, worked as a, I was a youth worker, I worked with the Department of Community Services, and I had a... Um, my role was I had a young person would be assigned to me. I would do 24-hour shifts. And uh, it was at a time when the Department of Community Services were taking young people out of, um, they were state wards or living on the streets down in Sydney and they were in gangs and they were in drugs. And so they would, um, they would remove them from places like, you know, um, Cabramatta and Bankstown and, and, and bring them to Newcastle and put them in Mayfield. And... Uh, and and um, and assign them to people like me, and uh, and uh, so it was a it was a funny kind of season, um, and it was so my my job was to look after this young person, and if they left my sight, if they left my care, I had to call the police. Um, they would be in breach of their bail conditions, and they could they'll end up in front of a magistrate and probably back in in juvenile detention. So they, it was in their interest to stay with me. I remember this one young man I worked with. He was 15. His name was Joel. And, uh, yeah, uh, different one. And, um, <laughs> and I, remember, I, remember, I remember Joel one day, I was working with him and he said to me, um, he was asking me for money. He wanted to go to the pool hall and he wanted money. And, I, and there was money allocated. There was money allocated for, you know, buy groceries and things like that. He wanted to spend it all on playing pool. And I, I wouldn't give him the money to let him do that. He got really upset with me. And so, um, Beck used to work there too. Beck, Beck Margag. Um, so, and so he, he walked out on me and he slammed the door. And I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's probably a good thing. Let him go down and cool down. Until about 30 seconds later, I heard a smash. I thought, oh, what's that? So I walked outside to see a brick sitting on the front seat of my car that had gone through the window. And um, he had thrown the brick through the window of my car just to spite me because, um, because of that. Who knows, it's really, really hard to love someone like Jesus in a moment like that. 
Um, but, but you know what, Joel, Joel had the most horrific story and background. And I remember he, um, I remember, because I would often have him on a Friday, I would take him along to a youth group on a Friday night, just that we could walk to. And I remember there being this, um, he would go along and he wasn't like the Christian kids at the youth group, right? Joel, his biggest challenge was he had this talent. Um, I'd never met anyone who could fit more swear words and expletives into a sentence so creatively as Joel. And so, um, and so it didn't, didn't go down real well at the, at the Christian youth group. And I remember there being this um, lady there, she was a leader, really, really well-meaning, um, but she, she um, t- would talk to Joel about it. We're, he'd only been there a, a week or two, and so she spoke to him about it, and it was very upsetting to her, and understandably, I'm not advocating at all. Um, but... Um, I remember listening to her speak to him and, and she, she was talking to him about his behaviour and um, putting some sanctions and things in place and fair enough, but then she was sort of starting to quote some Bible verses to him and telling him, you know, if you want God to do this, then you need to do this. And, and, um, and I remember thinking, no, 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 no. He, he, see, she, she was kind of like, he's lost because he swears so badly. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. He swears so badly because he's lost. Yeah, yeah like, like sinners will sin. And um, see, in, so often in church, and I'm kind of speaking to the converted a little bit here because this is something I think Salvation Army do such a great job of, but often in Christianity we get this picture of like, um, like we need to get people to behave. Like if you, if you, if you, you, know, you, you come along and if you do this, this and this, and then if you behave and don't swear and everything like that, you can come to our church and then you'll hear me preach and you'll hear these things go on and then you'll start to believe. And then once you believe, you'll belong and you'll be one of us, right? And, and, but it's the complete opposite to what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say behave so that you believe so you belong. Jesus said you belong. He said, he said to Matthew, the tax collector... He said, come follow me. He didn't say fix it all up. He just said, come follow me. And what we see happen is that if people can belong, if they can experience the unconditional love of Jesus through you, through me, then what happens is rather than, see, this is behavior modification. But we're not in the business of behavior modification. We are in the business of heart transformation. That is the kingdom. And so if people can love, be loved unconditionally, and it's real, they're going to start to believe because it's real. And as people, as we're changed from the inside out, we've all experienced this at at various levels, is that how we live, how we act, how we behave begins to change. But... You can't try and do both. This is the gospel. See, behavior modification, starting with behavior, needs rules and laws. And we have thousands of years of history in the Old Testament, that's the point of the whole thing, to show that that doesn't work. We've got thousands of years, generation after generation, of people trying to do that trajectory and it showed that it didn't work. We need... Jesus, we need grace, we need the love of God. What was that? That was point one. All right. 
I'll give you two very quick points. Point one, love is your assignment. Point two, Jesus is your standard. See, I have a definition of love. You have a definition of love. The world has a definition of love. The the world will say, you know, love your family, love your friends, love people who reciprocate it. But we're actually called to something greater. See, why would Jesus say what he said about love? Here's why. Because I will not allow your shortfallings or your character defects to conduct me. That's, that's the posture with which Jesus lived. I will, Jesus, it, Jesus causes us to live in such a way as that I'm not going to let the way the people around me conduct themselves conduct me. I'm not going to let how respectable you are determine how respectful I am and how I relate to you and how I speak to you. I'm not going to let how little or how much you love determine how much I love because my reference point is not people's shortfallings. My reference point for how much I should love is my God. How much, does, how much should I love? Well, how much does he love? How much grace should I show? Well, how much grace does he show? There's a, um, there's a really... Um, there's, there's, a, there's a cool story about Alexander the Great. And it's this, it goes like this, that Alexander was riding into a town um, with all his entourage and everyone came out to see him because he's royalty. They, they, they know who he is. And uh, as he's going through the town... This beggar came out and threw himself on the ground begging for money. And it was, it was inappropriate and it was, you know, probably a little bit offensive. But um, Alexander the Great reaches into his money purse and throws a handful of gold coins down to the man. And the man gathered them all up and it was more than a year's wages for, for a man in that community. It completely changed his life. And Alexander the Great didn't talk to him, just kept, kept, on, kept on moving and they moved through the town. And the story goes like this, that Alexander the, the Great's first officer leaned over to him and said, Sir, why did, why did you give the man those gold coins? Copper coins would have easily met the beggar's need. And Alexander the Great said to him, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need. Gold coins would suit Alexander's giving. See, that's a man who knows who he is and what he represents. You see, you are Alexander the Great in that story if you are a child of God. Because the Bible says we are a royal priesthood, that we are ambassadors of the kingdom, that we are heirs of the kingdom, that we are children of God. And the kingdom that we represent, that we are a part of, Our currency is not money, it's not gold, it's love. And so our love, the magnitude of our love is determined by the kingdom for which we represent. Whether someone deserves it or not, our call is to love. Because God as a father makes it rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus moved towards everyone with love and fully as who he is, and he says, go and do the same. And so every single day, whether someone, in the same way Jesus did not dial up who he was or, who, or dial down who he was, depending on how deserving someone is, in the same way, every single person we face every single day, whether they deserve it or don't deserve it, it is irrelevant because our reference point is heaven.
third point, and this is this is a quick one. I want to. This is a a wrap up point, really. First first point was love is our assignment. Second point is that Jesus is our standard. But this is the third point, and I think this is probably the most important. I truly believe that we can't fully love like Jesus until we know we're loved by Jesus. I find it really interesting that this was at the end of Jesus' ministry that he said, love one another as I have loved you. Because he demonstrated, he showed it, they experienced it, it changed them, and now they could do it. It's actually human. What we're talking about here, what we're called to, the assignment that we have is humanly impossible. It's impossible to continually love people who don't deserve it. You know why? Because without knowing, knowing, without knowing Jesus loves me, here's why. Because in order to love people the way Jesus loved, I have to live with my heart first. And to live with my heart first, I have to be living out of a revelation of who holds my heart. Because it is a rough world and life is messy and situations are complicated. And if we are going to be people who live with our heart first, who value love, who um, value people, then we're going to be in situations where we need to know who holds our heart. I want to ask you this morning, I'm not asking you, uh, like, have you accepted Jesus into your life or are you a Christian? Or, um, although if, if you haven't, that's a really good place to start. What I'm asking you this morning is when was the last time you were undone because of the goodness of God towards you? When was the last time in worship or in prayer or just in a moment that you had that a revelation afresh of the goodness of God? I've been a Christian like my whole life. I grew up in church. And the older I get, the more I know that this thing called a relationship with God, there's layers to it that there are immeasurable depths that we can continue to search out and to find. And so what I want, what I want to, really what I want to say this morning is invite you into a new layer, into a new depth of how much Jesus loves you. Because you can listen to this and try and do this and, and be committed to try and love people, but if we do it in our own strength... We end up exhausted. But there is a way. There is a way for us to connect with God and actually live, actually love people out of an overflow of he loves us. You know, you know what the world needs? The world needs, needs, it needs love. It needs, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. 
It needs that my, my life, your life, our lives are so transformed and being transformed by the love of Christ that it's no longer us that live, but Christ that lives in us, that to experience you more and more each day for other people around you is to experience something of the love of Christ. What a privilege. And so I want to pray for you this morning. So I invite everyone to stand. I don't know if you do that here. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that we live on this side of the cross. And I declare over each and every person standing here this morning, the goodness, the grace, and the love of God extended towards you. I declare that God has already made a decision from the foundations of the earth that you are His and that He is for you. The gospel is good news. Holy Spirit, would you change us? Holy Spirit, would you work in us and through us? God, would you let our hearts feel just a measure of what your heart is for the people in our community? God, would you just show us just a measure more of what your heart is for the people in our families, in our streets, in our in our workplaces, in our schools. That our hearts would reflect your heart. And we thank you for the truth that it's no longer us that live, but you that lives through us. God, I pray that we would live uh, in the experience of that, afresh and anew this week in Jesus' name. Amen.